Hey, welcome to the Africa Podcast. My name is Mikey Mhenna. On today's episode, we feature a conversation with educator, historian, and all-around great guy, Charles Elhayek, the person behind the Instagram account, Heritage and Roots. This conversation was recorded last week. I highly recommend you checking out the YouTube video because it's highly visual. And I hope you enjoy it. Welcome, everybody. My name is Mikey Mhenna. I'm uh, calling from Beirut. I'm the executive director and founder of Afikra. Thank you for joining us. I'm glad to see everyone here. It is my honor to welcome our guest, Charles Hayek, who is a Lebanese historian, heritage expert, and teacher, working on bringing Arab cultural heritage and history to social media on heritage and roots in engaging and enticing means. Charles holds a bachelor's and a master's degrees from Lebanese University in History and Archaeology, specializing in Byzantine history, Ottoman, Lebanon, and Lebanese heritage. Charles, welcome to Africa Conversations. Thank you, Miki. I'm very happy to be on Africa tonight. Yeah, it's our pleasure. I'm really, Hi. really excited about this. Me too. I want to start with um, one of the words that I said in that introduction. Um, and it's a, a subject that's very dear to my heart because I was a public school teacher. Uh, you spent almost two decades teaching. You're a teacher. Capital yes. T, you are a teacher. Yes, um, uh, yeah. And it, in particular, you are a history teacher. So I'm curious, as somebody who grew up in Lebanon, lives in Lebanon right now, there's a refrain that we hear all the time. History taught in schools stops at 1975. The curriculum stops. My question to you is, where does it Where does it stop? So, Mickey asked, where does it start? Where does it start? Sorry, I didn't get that because of the internet. So I've been teaching for 19 years. I've started at a very young age. I was still studying history at college and at the same time teaching at my own school, St. Joseph Antura. And I've taught on, on in different uh, levels, grade five, grade six, grade seven, grade eight, nine, 10, 11, and for the past 10 years, exclusively in grade 12. So in Lebanon, we have two types of history curriculums. You have the history curriculum that is related to two levels, grade nine and grade 12, where students are expected to uh, participate in the common exam, the baccalaureate, to get their uh, accreditation by the state. This is where the history curriculum is the tightest. So if you go to the other classes, you have the classical chronological approach where students will learn about the different civilizations and periods that Lebanon uh, witnessed. The classical beginning would be with the Phoenician civilization, but that differs from one school to another. Others would start around the Islamic conquest. Others would start under Ottoman rule. So you don't have one common point of start for this history because you do know that in Lebanon, uh, 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 private schooling is way more organized and has a way more complex web than public schooling. And private schools have a large autonomy in deciding what to teach and when to teach it. So you don't have a starting point that is very clear. Two, the main problem of this history curriculum is the method that is used. It's usually really boring, long texts with few visuals. Sometimes the visuals are not only horrible, but are anachronistic. 
And, and this is funny because uh, uh, these books are supposed to be produced by experts. Or they are, uh, 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 they are written in slightly, not slightly, in very bad Arabic. In parallel to that, especially in the private schools, you have Western-inspired history curriculums. If you're a student in the uh, Francophone uh, uh, schools, you would start learning about prehistory, the major Western civilization, some uh, uh, lights on pharaonic Egypt, Mesopotamia. Sometimes they do mention Phoenicians. Uh, the Byzantine Roman Empire plays a major role, uh, classical Greece, Greece, the Byzantines, some, some books include the big Arab Islamic empires, and then the classical, the focus is on France as the emergence of France as an entity, Le Grand Siècle, Louis XIV, Versailles, the French Revolution, Industrial Revolution up until the World War II. And in, yeah. in some cases where you are actually studying for the French baccalaureate, you study up until the current days. So you have students that are learning more about Western history than local history. Yeah. When did you, what kind of student were you? I mean, when did you first take a liking to, um, to archaeology and to history? I hated school and I ended up being vice principal. Uh, I wasn't a very good student. However, I've always been passionate about history and archaeology at a very young age. My parents, my family played a major role in like sustaining and, and uh, feeding this passion of mine. I think that I was all, I do remember that uh, in my early teens, I've taken the decision of studying uh, uh, exclusively history. And that was one of the few um, things that uh, helped me pass from one grade to another in school. Yeah. At what point did you start smoking this amazing, iconic pipe? Uh, this pipe <laughs> has been around for like 10 years, I think. Really? Yeah. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, heritage and roots, which is you know, how I became familiar with your work. Um, and I want to talk about both of those words. Um, why heritage and roots? And this idea of tangible and intangible heritage, what do you mean by tangible and intangible heritage? Let, let, let's first try to give, uh, define uh, heritage uh, as UNESCO defines it. So heritage is, or cultural heritage, is both a product and a process that provides society uh, societies with a wealth of resources. This wealth of resources is inherited from the past and thus the idea of heritage. It's created in the present because what we consider as heritage is largely something that is connected to a legal process to, to protect, uh, let's say this cup as heritage, it needs to be protected by a legal. So this concept of heritage is created in the present and it is bestowed for the benefit of future generation. It is both tangible, means something that is that can be touched, a monument, a, a, a cup, a book, a pen. It is also intangible. It's the list of folklore, values, the way we relate to feasts, uh, funerals, songs, uh, the way we write music, 
religious rituals, and it's also natural, uh, uh, forest, valleys, mountain. Uh, uh, roots, the problem, uh, uh, one of the major problems that we have in Lebanon, that both uh, uh, history uh, and heritage and roots are sometimes used not to give this sense of all oh, this, this uh, uh, um, to feed this cul uh, cultural curiosity, it is used to justify a political agenda. So uh, uh, one of my goals through Heritage and Roots is to rediscover how ancient civilization is in this region, even if Lebanon is a very recent country, the civilization in this area is one of the oldest in the world. So this is an element that we should be proud of. As Middle Easterns, we are part of one of the first places where civilization emerged in, in, in the world. So this is just to give a, a small sense of pride and sense of attachment without that being morphed into uh, uh, nationalistic, uh, narrow uh, yeah. uh, views. So on, on I have a question about this. This idea, I'm so happy you got there um, because I have a question and you're a, a perfect person to talk about this with. This idea of, on the screen there is capital L Lebanese, right? That is a national idea, right? You're representing a national idea that is recent and like almost every single national idea um, in the world, it's it's artificial um, well, by, by definition. So how do you how do you manage those two those the the, the friction between those two things between uh, exploring sort of political constructs and cultural and cultural constructs? So the idea of, of explaining Lebanese heritage, well, you need to like coin things and, and, and um, how do we say it, brand what you do uh, around a starting point. Uh, using this as Lebanese, yes, I am explaining Lebanese, I am Lebanese history and heritage. Uh, however, uh, I, I, I do explain and work on showing that this Lebanon is a recent country. However, it's part of this wider region and that Lebanese nationalism, as every nationalism, emerged in the 19th century. I don't like to use the words uh, artificial or natural because there is nothing artificial or natural in, in, in either countries or ideas. It's a process that happened and that uh, has uh, repercussions and consequences in history. So this is just like a generic term to make things easier. Because imagine if I'm putting in my title, like explaining the heritage of Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Iraq, Palestine, Egypt, the Arab world, the Byzantine civilization, Ottoman, Belize, to be very complex. So for now, we have a country, it's called Lebanon. We are part uh, of this country. We love it. And let's try to discover the different roots and how the idea of this country emerged. Yeah. In many ways, I'm, I'm asking for a friend because this is something that I, I struggle with all the time with Afikra. Um, and so I was like trying to steal some <laughs> steal um, <laughs> advice from you. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, when you, when you were teaching uh, in the classroom and working with students, what was their conception of, you know, capital L Lebanon when they come into the classroom versus what you want them to walk away with when they leave? 
And for okay. those of people who can't see the, the screen, there is a, a 1907 map of um, modern day Lebanon and the surrounding areas and many of the cities on the map. Um, okay. So yeah, please. So uh, keep in mind, Mikey, that in grade 12, uh, students are supposed to memorize, that's the horror of it, paragraphs that are related to a very short period of Lebanese history, 1914 with the start of World War I and 1946 when the last French and British soldiers left Lebanon following independence in 1943. They have to memorize without acquiring any critical skills, nothing is memorized. So what we tried to do in, in our school for, uh, in the history department for like for the past 15 years uh, is to work on two levels. Uh, foster critical thinking through taking, taking this uh, official curriculum and transforming it to something more interactive. So most students, uh, the majority of the students uh, have like some elements of the national narrative. Lebanon is a very ancient country. It has been around uh, uh, because the national narrative is also divided into three. It has been around over 7,000 years or since the Islamic conquest as a mountain refuge or uh, since Emir Fakhreddin established the first mountain entity. But it's not something that's very uh, uh, present unless some students have some kind of political background when it becomes- and there's another, another thing present. So can I ask, you, before you yeah, keep on going, yeah. can I ask you a question? Yes. This paragraph, who wrote this paragraph and when was the last time it was updated? Uh, I think it was updated the last time in 1997, if I'm not wrong, I'm not sure about that. Uh, well, there is no one author. There's a list of uh, uh, PhD holders, uh, uh, Lebanese, exclusively Lebanese, and the books are not only badly written, but they do have discrepancies that are um, catastrophic for any history book I mention one like the Soviet Union was around in 1914. <laughs> this is yeah. this is this is madness. Yeah. This is madness. You're not allowed to to make such kind of mistakes in a history book that is printed and used in, in every single school in Lebanon. So yeah. the idea is to show the students that Lebanon does have a very ancient history, but not as a state, because it did not exist as a state prior to 1920. So the idea is to show that the construction of that state had a process, because the idea of Lebanon kind of emerged in the second half of the 19th century, but it didn't have very well, it wasn't a very well-defined program. So the proto-Lebanists were not, um, uh, were arguing around how big this Lebanon should be. Should it uh, be an autonomous region within the Ottoman Empire or within uh, another uh, entity, Syria? Because few people know that Syrian nationalism and Lebanese nationalism like developed in parallel and sometimes have uh, similar roots. To go back to the my students, so this was our goal. First, the first goal is to make them uh, uh, survive the horrible content of the curriculum and uh, 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 get good grades because this will define if they will get their diploma or not. 
because it's on 60 over 100, because we still use a very ancient, uh, a very vintage, let's say, a grading system over 100 or over 60. And at the same time, to make them, to uh, give them some basic critical thinking and proper historical methods of how to deal with a source, uh, put it into a politic proper political, geographical, economic, cultural context, and so on. I want to talk a little bit about 20th century um, history. You were on the call with uh, our conversation with Osama Maktasi, and we started talking about Michel Shiha. Yes. Um, and he was saying, you know, uh, Michel Shiha uh, is almost like this prototypical architect of modern day, modern day Lebanon. And I was wondering if that sounds right to you. As I, after that call, I was really thinking maybe if there was one person who has their fingerprints on modern day Lebanon, where we are right now, more than anything, sort of stitched into the DNA, it feels like Sheikha is the right person, but I might be totally wrong. I was curious if you have No, it's, 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 it's not totally wrong. However, it's not his, uh, the vision of the Lebanon he uh, 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 developed is very different from Lebanon in 2021. Uh, first, let me, let me, in history, we don't judge ideas, either bad or good, we evaluate it. Michel Shiha played a major role in establishing three things. First, the basics of what the idea of Lebanon would be, especially uh, from after the independence as a place where Muslims and Christians will would share power. Uh, two, uh, he played a major role in defining the, the economical uh, system, whether Lebanon would be, uh, the economy of Lebanon would be based on, on services, on banking sector, on trade, on tourism. And three, he, prior to that, he is one of the main uh, writers of the uh, Lebanese constitution. So he is one of the founding fathers of Lebanon. However, his idea of Lebanon as a place where the different communities would live and would preserve their uh, 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 religious identity and deal together uh, in a sort of a, a gentleman agreement uh, completely died during the civil war. So for a big part of the of Lebanon, yes, he was like the behind, if I can say, the ideology of what Lebanon was supposed to be. But currently, no, it's uh, he would have been very sad to see what happened to Lebanon. He 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 was part of this uh, uh, elite Beiruti cosmopolitan elite. He had Iraqi uh, uh, ancestry. Uh, uh, very well connected with the family, the major families, very educated. So for them, uh, Lebanon now would look like um, a terrible place to be. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I want to talk about this idea of nostalgia. Um, I feel like nostalgia is running rampant um, now more than ever in Lebanon. Um, and, and underneath the surface, it feels like part of your ethos and your mission statement with Heritage and Roots is to is to stamp out nostalgia. Yeah. Um, how, how are you doing that? What is your approach? Well, like, the problem with nostalgia is that it is the opposite of history. It's not scientific. It's some, something that is emotional and not rational. And the problem is uh, the approach to history in, in Lebanon sometimes is very nostalgic. Let me give you an example. 
you would uh, uh, um, uh, hear Lebanese talk about the golden era of Lebanon, especially this idea of history being a succession of golden eras, bad eras, depression, destruction. Uh, so the golden era of Lebanon, the 50s, 60s, and, and, and the first five years of the 70s, where Lebanon was prosperous, and they would show you these images about the Riviera in Beirut, the elite hotel, the casino of Lebanon. But we should keep in mind that this is beautiful nostalgia. It's, it's, it, it's a beautiful visual content. However, this is the lifestyle of 5% of the Lebanese. Yeah. The rest was living in, in there was a, 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 a there was a middle class that was starting to expand, but the majority lived in misery. How can we break this nostalgia and what is the danger of this nostalgia? This nostalgic vision of what Lebanon was gives us a lack of understanding of the factors that made the civil war possible. Because it gives us the idea that this Lebanon was like, they love to use the term Switzerland of the Middle East. And this Switzerland of the Middle East was destroyed by external factors. However, history speaks of major internal factors that would lead to civil war. So including, what I'm, including I'm, the fact that it was the Switzerland of the Middle East. <laughs> it, it, it was, I don't think it was ever as prosperous in the banking system as Switzerland, but this yeah, entire yeah. this entire idea is not, it's part of the myths and legends around the national yeah. idea. Like any country, you have your, your myth and legend. My my approach is I'm using work made by great Lebanese historians like from the, from the 60s, Elia Hariq, uh, Kamal Salibi, Khalaf, uh, 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 recently Dr. Fawzra Wilsi, Professor Abdurrahim Abu Hussain, Angin Akali, and other, other, just to, we can, like, there's no, there's nothing wrong with having legends. However, they cannot be used to create a modern version of Lebanon in 2021, especially that a big, but a, a major component of these legends are fictions, are historical fictions. Yeah, yeah, and they are, um, uh, nostalgia is, is a weapon and is purposely being used. And if, um, if you allow, I need to, to, I would like to stress on a very important uh, note that these, some of these narratives are divisive and they actually help maintain this extreme polarization between the different communities in Lebanon. And yeah, they, absolutely. And they promote sectarianism also. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I love about your work and really what drew me to your work and I think distinguished you from um, a lot of the other stuff that I was seeing um, was your focus on natural history um, and which the roots part, right? Um, and I'd love to know if you can just start with recommendations for as I have the screen on the on the book on the right now with all these books and references, where can a novice who is interested in in, in particular uh, modern day Lebanon, where can they learn about the sort of agricultural history um, and archaeological history? What books sort of come to mind immediately as this is the first place to start? You you should really start there. Well, um, uh, concerning agriculture, there's a very important book on Lebanese economy by Boutros Labakit somewhere in the, uh, in the references. I will actually share it again when we finish to understand something that's, that few Lebanese actually realize that we are a profoundly agrarian country. 
economy, the, the, if we can say that historically, agriculture was the basis of production, living like many, many uh, yeah. other. But the problem is that this focus on trade and, and services um, completely uh, shuts us away from this fact that we are an agrarian country. And one of the consequences is that we treat our natural heritage very badly. We destroy fertile land, we destroy um, uh, beautiful mountains and valleys. Uh, there, there, there isn't, there, uh, we, we still lack in proper study for natural heritage. There are some beautiful books about trees in Lebanon, about flowers in Lebanon, about the geology in Lebanon, but there is no like uh, one big book that would introduce that. Yeah, um, but just like to get a sense of how you go, your approach to your your activity on, on on social media and now your YouTube account, when you do these sort of deep dives and these like lectures on rock formations and you know the Romans, um, the Romans and these different um, eras, what are you hoping people take away? Like, what is the what is the goal? What does success look like, um, perhaps? The goal is first to make history more appealing because people usually think that history is extremely boring, especially in Lebanon, because they recall their bad school experience and they are, I totally agree with them. We can, the idea is to use elements, components of heritage and history, whether it is a rock formation, whether it is uh, a tree or a crop or a sculpture or a scripture, an inscription or an engraving to uh, 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 explain something in a bro broader context. Like, like you're now sharing the thing about the silk. I'm using these pamphlets, these fashion pamphlets from 18th century Paris, Paris where they uh, are showcasing where this silk came from, La Baroutine, which was one of the most expensive silks in Europe. And this silk came from Mount Lebanon. And this silk shaped the history of Lebanon, especially in the 19th century. So the idea is to connect the dots by using elements that people can relate to instead of doing uh, 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 talking in, in, uh, in large, this is something that Lebanese uh, historians, classical historians adore is to talk uh, in using large terms and in a very condescending and elitist way. And in this way, they are actually contributing in people hating history instead of loving it. And the idea is to just explain to Lebanese that this Herit uh, this history heritage uh, is present in, in your everyday life. Great. I want to, I think we're going to have tons of questions in the chat, but I want to ask you a little bit about, um, aside, going even a step further, right? So all these people, they, they realize, wow, history is interesting. History is fun. It's not just that paragraph I had to memorize. But then, and then what? Is the idea that you're trying to say, shake them awake and say, Wake up, don't get swindled, don't get turned around, don't fall for it. Be what? what I have sort no of the next step. I have absolutely no agenda. I'm sharing this material and it's up to them to decide what to do with it, whether to love it, whether to hate it, whether to criticize it, whether to counter it. It's it's uh, it's it's just it's that 
this this is the approach we lack in Lebanon to to history, and this approach might just reconnect people with their history in a very relaxed way, and not like. Uh, this idea of I am defending history or I am defending my community or let's keep history away from this defense uh, logic and mechanism and just enjoy the content. Okay, okay. Um, so here's a question for you about the YouTube account, the new YouTube account that you launched. Um, what are you hoping to achieve with this? What's, why? I guess that's the question. Well, uh, you have to understand, Mickey, that I've started that a year ago, and I absolutely okay. have no idea. I'm just sharing. Uh, for now, I'm sharing. I'm very happy that I'm getting this beautiful interaction. For now, I, I have no idea uh, where to go with that. Uh, maybe, yes, one of my goals is to grow it, is to have the possibility to uh, make a more interactive uh, content. But um, hopefully, when I finish school and we survive the... Uh, the baccalaureate, me, my students, and I. <laughs> okay, great. Um, all right, we're going to do the quick Q and A, and then open it up because we have tons of questions in the chat. Mm -hmm. So, first of all, what are you reading or watching right now? I'm reading because I'm very interested in culinary uh, heritage. Something called the Sultan's Feast, a 15th-century Egyptian cookbook. A very good friend of mine brought me that as a gift, and I'm absolutely enjoying it because you can see. Uh, like uh, proto mamul in it, proto lewa, proto atayif. Who, who wrote this? This is a book written by Ibn Mubarak Shah, uh, an Egyptian cookbook, edited, translated by Daniel L. Newman. A Great. beautiful book a be with recipes, because hopefully, I, uh, to answer your prior question, I'm hoping of making YouTube content where I recreate historical uh, recipes yeah. from the Middle East. That's great. And what okay. I'm watching, it's it might. Um, I'm I, I received a gift uh, from a friend of mine, a subscription to Curiosity Channel, and uh, I'm starting to uh, rediscover my passion to Pharaonic Egypt. Some documentaries on it, and I uh, listen to. Uh, I'm an eager follower of the Ottoman History podcast, and I listen to what their amazing work They're amazing uh, 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 on a weekly basis. They are the OGs. Yes. Um, for the the uh, on the culinary thing, I highly recommend checking out Annie Gall's work, who was on our conversation series. She's amazing. Okay. She has a lot of really good stuff there. Um, who would you love to shadow for a day, past or present? Past, it would be um, a rather obscure personality. His name is Plethon. Plethon is a Byzantine philosopher who lived at the last decade of the Byzantine Empire. Empire I'm sorry. And he was uh, asking the Byzantines to go back to paganism to save their identity and to save their state to Neoplatonism. He's a very interesting uh, 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 fellow, actually. Another one would be Cardinal Bessarion. So uh, the title Cardinal is slightly uh, misleading. He's a uh, business because my original speciality is the Byzantine Empire. Bessarion was a metropolitan of the uh, Orthodox Byzantine Church. Then he was uh, made Cardinal by the Pope. And he's one of, when, the, when Constantinople fell, he played a major role in uh, saving Byzantine heritage and taking it to Italy, books, manuscripts. So I would like to shadow him for a day. Great. What do people most misunderstand about your work? 
Well, they think I'm destroying the narrative and that my approach is destructive because I, I'm challenging uh, uh, some concepts that are considered as sacred. Well, it, what I'm presenting is, is material that has been around for, for ages. It's, it's just, it, it was not made for uh, large audiences and I'm sharing it. Uh, and uh, this is what they, they misunderstand. They, the goal is not to attack. The goal is not to destroy, the goal is just to raise questions and, and, and uh, promote critical thinking around fictions that might be dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, whose work do you admire or are inspired by? I'm sure there's a long list, but if you have a few that come to mind. Well, I would uh, say John Julius Norwich, a British historian who wrote extensively on the uh, Byzantine Empire. I would also add Arnold Toynbee, and I would add my mentor, Professor Abdelrahim Hussain, Ottoman historian, a specialist of Ottoman history, and he's a teacher at the AUB. Great. Uh, Nima, you are up first. Hi. Hi. Uh, Oshi, thank you for this very interesting um, and you were talking about nostalgia and I just wanted to know if you've seen a Lebanese film called Last Days of the Man of the, of the, Man of Tomorrow. Of the? Um, Last Days of the Man of Tomorrow. Yeah. I, I don't think so. Thank you for mentioning it. Um, it's, a, it's a really great film. Uh, I can send a link here if you want please, to. Uh, but I know what it does is basically say that nostalgia is not only inaccurate, but it's also dangerous because it paralyzes us from trying to be creative as to how solve future or present problems by yes. like always going back to the past. And I just want to know what you what your thoughts are on that. But you know, since you haven't seen it, maybe but I can actually, get back I, to you. I do share this vision of how nostalgia can be dangerous because not only it gives you this impression that you have to defend a certain past, to recreate it. It's a negation of your present because it transforms you into someone who's always fighting to reconnect with a, a certain idea of a lost thing. And it's, it's an obstacle to progress. This is my personal take on, on how nostalgia can be dangerous, especially in Lebanon. Okay. Uh, Samir asked, he asked me to ask his question, are there any broad contemporary histories that you can recommend to get a fuller understanding of the present? I'm sure there are many, but if one comes to mind. Yeah, on, on Lebanese history, the Fawaz Trabilsi, Kamal Salibi, Modern History of Lebanon would be excellent books to start with. Great. Naila? Hi, Shad. Hello. Uh I'm sure you have a lot of students in the classroom that probably come from, uh, you know, these polarized and uh, divisive communities. Yes. Um, how, are, how does your interaction go with them? I, you seem to have a very pacifist approach, but like, does it often, you know, get heated? Do you have to like find a way to get them to, you know, engage and listen and uh, interact with you? Well, um... Uh, well, the last time I interacted uh, in, in a class was a year ago because we have been giving online courses. But I do remember that sometimes when we uh, um, challenge the narrative, students that are from polarized background 
usually become not violent, that's a very big word, but uh, they try to uh, challenge what we uh, counter challenge in a very um, negative uh, tone and, and, and choice of words. So the idea, what we used to do is just to manage this because they are entitled to uh, to speak their mind this is uh, this is sacred and we we respect that at school and uh, it's all about managing this diversity and without transforming it into uh, a problem but it wasn't something that happened on daily basis because we have limited time to teach this horrible curriculum and we have also limited time to convince the students to study so they can get the grades. Study a new curriculum as well. Okay, great. Ralph? Uh, yeah, hi. Hi. Hi, Ralph. Uh, so my question was, uh, Awalan, uh, Charles, big fan. I've, uh, yeah. I came from the Serde podcast. That's where I first heard of you. And uh, ever since, very avid follower of the Instagram page. Um, my question was about uh, Lebanese identity. For Anna, I'm the furthest thing from a historian. I'm studying chemical engineering in university, so this might be a very simple question to answer, but uh, I've always wondered how the borders were drawn, uh, were, like why they were drawn out the way they were, and why Lebanon exists as an entity in general. Like why, why wasn't just part of Syria? Why, why did they create like this little tiny country with so much... Um, diversity and so much struggles within yeah thank you thank you let me quickly deconstruct uh, your um, question into elements of answer first lebanon and syria are as are relatively new entities new political entities that were born following the uh, fall of the ottoman empire and the redrawing of borders by the mandate powers in the eastern mediterranean france and uh, 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 great britain so to a large extent, the borders corresponds to how France and uh, the, the United Kingdom defined uh, borders according to their own interest. There's a large misconception that these borders were drawn by Sykes-Picot, absolutely not. Sykes-Picot has absolutely nothing to do with the current borders. These current borders were decided on, uh, it was a long process that started with something called San Remo and then to uh, the international uh, 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 um, treaties of Lausanne, and uh, uh, we still don't have enough material to precisely uh, uh, say why and how they were drawn like that. We, we, we still can't, it's still an ongoing research to say, so why did they choose this river? Why did they choose the anti-Lebanon? And, and, but to a large extent, it reflects how France and uh, Great Britain saw their interest in reshaping the different Ottoman vilayets in the Middle East. In general, cash rolls everything around me, so just follow the money. <laughs> um, Ayat, you're up next. Okay. Hi, Charles. How are you? Hi. Uh, so basically, I think uh, I think the question maybe Naila um, kind of referred to as well, which is how you approach the divisive, controversial uh, episodes in Lebanese history. I know that the curriculum doesn't perhaps reach the 1975 civil war, but it does, <clears throat> for, for example, uh, um, include the 1860 uh, 
um, uh, mini civil civil war. Um, and so, how do you explain where all all of this came from? And like, how do you explain, for example, why is sectarianism such as such an kind of unfortunately inherent part of uh, the our daily lives or our history? Um, how how do you also explain all of this by you know maintaining kind of this um, uh, I mean, I don't want to say apolitical or non-religious, but like, you know, very kind of objective, very kind of, I'm not taking any side because I'm a historian. How do you maintain that? How, I mean, or or are you like, you know, do you take sides? Well, the questions are very interesting, but however, we need to keep in mind that the Lebanese curriculum is, it does include these uh, uh, events, but it doesn't give you enough material to develop them. This is one. Two, they are not part of grade 12. They are usually part of, sometimes they are taught in very young classes. These very complex events are taught sometimes in grade eight. And, and, and sometimes in grade 10 again. When I used to teach that, we used to add uh, 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 how much it's possible to at least give them the proper analysis tools for critical thinking. This is first. First, you start not with the content, but with the method. This is where, uh, uh, and I'm slightly proud to say that our school was different because we, we didn't have any problem with uh, talking about these. And I'm sure there are many schools and I do know many fellow historians that are doing. So it's giving this event as a historical material, comparing, uh, even if we, we, we are just comparing with students two different sources that are contradictory to understand the broader and to put it as an event that has a political and economical, a cultural and ideological aspect to it, and not to make it as something that happened and it's such, uh, uh, and it's something that we should never speak about. Uh, the most controversial thing in grade 12 was not the 1860, because it's not part of the curriculum, it was the famine. So it's trying to explain the famine of Mount Lebanon, that first it was a famine that existed practically everywhere in the Ottoman Empire, that it was not an Ottoman genocide, and to a large extent there's a big responsibility on local uh, uh, traders and bankers who profited a lot from the crisis. Uh, Charles, just uh, just going off that for a second, um, is there an initiative among uh, local history teachers to rewrite a, not even rewrite, but to write a more comprehensive uh, history of the of the country that focuses on critical thinking and focuses on um, a uh, more comprehensive overview of how we got where we are now. Of Not course. only 20th century and 21st century, but. Of course, historians have been working in the 90s and, and the first decade of the 21st century, and even recently on establishing history clubs, establishing uh, big talks around. In particular, educators though, history yes, teachers. In yeah. particular, educators, school educators who have been doing an amazing job in lobbying for a new approach of history, but, but however, the, there was really, uh, you need a political decision to change the curriculum. And this decision, even the different ministers always declared that they are 
happy to incorporate that into a new vision of curriculum. It never happened. But the work has been done. The work is, is amazing as much as possible has been done into modernizing the approach. But however, it's, it's still not part of the educational system. We, still, we are still stuck in this boring, uh, largely. Is it, is it available? Can I go download a version of it? Uh, there are articles around it. I can put you in touch with some of these yeah. teachers who decided to like, even if the state is not going to adopt that, they, they adopted that in their own classes. Amazing job. Okay, yeah, I would, yeah, I'm interested. Okay, uh, Afzal, you're up next. Okay, I'll ask his question for him. He says, what is the best novel according to you um, that depicts past and present um, and, the, and present sort of Middle East? Do you have any favorite novels, sort of historical well, fiction? I, I yeah, I do love what Rabia Jaber writes, like Tulathiyat Beirut Medina Al-Alam, Duruz Belgrad, or also what Fawaz Travelsi wrote, Harir wa Hadid, like fictions that are grounded in historical context that gives you proper historical material with the uh, novel approach. Great. Maureen? Yeah, I had a question about, um, earlier you talked about topics that have been controversial to address with your students. And I'm wondering if that has, um, if you've felt pressure at all from parents at all um, about certain topics or if it's really just from the students. Well, once actually, once uh, the school had parents calling and asking, why are we speaking about uh, Turkey in positive terms? And we were never speaking about Turkey in positive terms. We're just trying to explain that the Ottoman Empire did not perpetuate a genocide in Mount Lebanon, as simple as that. Okay. Yeah, hi. Yeah, I'm here. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Mikey, first uh, for uh, choosing this very interesting topic and for hosting uh, Charles. Uh, actually, my question uh, for Charles uh, is uh, that, I mean, you've, you've said that you've been teaching for 19 years and you have uh, lived through the past 10, 15, uh, very long uh, civil war in Lebanon. And you've personally seen, uh, I mean, the worst uh, part of it. Uh, how do you explain to your students the facts of the war that you've seen uh, and you've, you've lived when it is um, actually, it's not mentioned in the curriculum, uh, neither in uh, history books. And uh, taking into account that uh, you, you teach for grade 12 uh, students, I mean, yes. most of, of that age are, uh, I mean, students that, um, they have influence from their parents' point of view and uh, political uh, point of view specifically. Yes. Thank you, Carol. Thank you. With, with my fellow colleagues at, at Colossus of Antur, we have devised a cine club, a cinema club around the Lebanese Civil War. We decided to show them actual films that were made during the Civil War, especially Marum Baghdadi, and, and to try to explain the goal was not to explain the civil war in one session or two sessions, because this is a very difficult topic. It's just to show them something that they would never see or hear about. It's the life of civilians during times of conflict. Uh, this is something that we used to do in the afternoon, like for two or three times a year, because I do stress we have limited time to finish the curriculum. So we didn't have enough time to 
develop and to indulge in, in, in discussing these topics. And of course, students are influenced by political, uh, the political background of their parents. And this was very clear when discussing uh, sometimes this, the, the Lebanese civil war through the movie club. Okay, great. The next question comes from Joe, who asked me to read. I love the Byzantine music you introduced us to on your Instagram lives. Which title is your favorite? So, because the Capella Romana and Stanford recreated the acoustics of Aya Sophia, and this is mind blowing. And I would like to recreate the same project for Al Sultan Hassan Mosque, the, one of the most beautiful mosques of Al Qahira that actually has acoustics because sound and the way sound was projected was used by religious and political powers to uh, convey these images of sanctity, glory, power. So it's also a historical material to, to explain. Great. Hili is up next. Yeah. Hi. Hi, Charles. So a quick question. Uh, what defines a nation in your opinion? I mean, some people would argue it's probably the culture or the language, but it could also be mentioned that it's probably the unified history or the shared goal uh, or the shared vision towards the future. So to that matter, do you think that Lebanon can be defined as a nation, uh, especially that you have different religious groups that are disagreeing about the history of the country? Uh, thank you, Eli, for the question. Uh, it's it's a rather very big and large topic to answer briefly. However, let's let's go and just try to understand what's nationalism, what's uh, the way, uh, when did it emerge, and do we really need to be a nation um, uh, in this framework of nationalistic view? Uh, do we need to keep and uh, consider that this diversity is divisive, or this is something that defines Lebanon? So uh, I would say that now Lebanon is a republic, uh, nation or no, I'm, I can't answer that. It's, 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 it's very, uh, a very uh, tricky, diverse question that needs more and more discussion. And it's a choice that the Lebanese have to finally uh, decide, do they want to be a nation like in this 19th century inspired model of a state or uh, another, uh, another uh, form of a state? Okay, great. I think our last question is gonna be, I'm gonna ask Bethaina, who is a past guest, to ask her question, and then I'll have a final comment before we wrap up. Bethaina, are you there? Hi, Mikey. Hi, hey. Carol. Thanks. Hi. Um, I'm now, I mean, you kind of answered part of my question about the importance uh, of cinema, and you know, I'm annoyed that you have the same song, so I'd love to see what you've been watching the same song, but, my question is if there is one particular moment or incident or story or future Bethana, we can't hear you very well, but let me try to ask the question that I think you're trying to ask. Okay. Um, given the power of cinema, which is Bethana's field, in narrating history, if there's one historical figure or incident you'd like to have made into a film, who or what would it be? Why are you putting me in such a difficult position? Just one historical figure? <laughs> well, many, many. I, 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 I really can't answer in that 
when you are that that's it's a very what's your favorite chair what's your favorite uh, many as many as possible okay great um charles uh, one final thing um i'm curious about uh how the the last year has sort of changed your life and the way you think about um your role as a history teacher and educator um you know what has really changed about the way you think of your your role in educating people are you sort of um what's changed yeah especially with the the success of heritage and roots for you well uh first this is for the first time in 19 years where i have enough time for uh, to share more and more of what i research and what i uh, love to uh, uh, convey uh, let me say that now uh, because i'm 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 I, uh, I've taken the decision to resign from school. I will not be a teacher anymore. Uh, 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 and I will consecrate my time to doing what I'm doing now, to sharing more and more. And uh, lockdown gave me more space and more time to, uh, to work on this. This, this was a major change in my life. Because not only I was a teacher, I was also a vice principal. And you can just imagine how administration take time and consume time. So now uh, it's just that I'm trying to offer Lebanese uh, a fun, uh, 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 interactive way to discover their heritage and history and to promote this critical approach on the narrative without any hidden agenda uh, concerning destro destroying the, the legend or the narratives. Has your mother also put more time into her schedule to make sure that she is a part yes, of more videos? Yes, and uh, I'm very thankful to her because whenever I have some culinary uh, advice that I need, I need to pass by her. That's absolutely right. Okay, everybody. Um, Charles, thank you so much for doing this. It was a thrill to have you on. I'm glad that we've been able to share the work that you're doing with everybody and to really dig into your perspective. This has been wonderful. Um, I'm glad that I saw so many faces from all over um, and so many names from all over. Please uh, stick on if you wanna ask a few more questions, uh, logistic questions, I'll stick on and uh, let you unmute yourself if you have anything. We have an, uh, two more events next week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. So please check those out and go to the website for more information. And this will, uh, this will be on our podcast and on YouTube next week. You can share with friends who may have missed it. Thank you, Mickey. That was amazing. Thanks, Charles. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. We have new episodes coming every single week. Make sure you follow us on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. You can find us at afikra.com for information about all upcoming events. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks a lot. See you next time and stay curious.